Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. We are absolutely delighted to have you here at this meeting. Just a little bit of word business before I turn the time over to Bishop for today's presentation, and that is that we won't be sharing our numbers uh, with you anymore. I know we used to do that in general conference, but uh, we're not doing that anymore because we are, in fact, on the decline. Uh, I think I think May was our peak month. So uh, thanks, everybody. It's been a good run. We're just going to pretend like everything's totally fine and nothing's on the decline. Uh, we're all good. Anyways, up on the stand here, you'll notice we have Bishop Jensen, of course, presiding. And we also are joined once again by Brother Porter, the uh, the assassin of the Lord. Is that is that what they call you, Brother Porter? destroying yeah. angel the yeah. destroying angel yeah. that's right yeah. that's yeah. right either one's great <laughs> perfect well um we welcome you and uh with that i'll turn the time over to the just un uh, incredibly handsome uh bishop jensen thank, thank you thank you um so today we're gonna go we've got a three-part series coming out that we are now recording and it's it comes from uh Jean Baudrillard's uh, Simulacra and Simulation, something he wrote in the 1980s. Um, this treatise was one of the, it was one of the foundational texts for concepts used in the Matrix trilogy. Um, so I guess as some background, um, you know, in the 19, mid-1900s, philosophers, sociologists, they start noticing that we're going into a postmodern world. So there was this kind of foundational paradigm of modernity where you had this idea of an objective truth and you had the scientific method and this idea that there was an objective truth that you could find and verify and empirically prove that this was the truth. As we headed into the postmodern period, it becomes that truth is ultimately subjective and that all truth is a construction. And so Baudrillard starts saying, what, would, what is a postmodern world going to look like? And how are we going to interact in this postmodern world where we start deconstructing these fundamental paradigms, these overarching narratives that really construct our identity? And he talks about, about these two concepts, simulation and simulacra. And so just like as broadly speaking or as simply speaking as I can, a simulation is to Baudrillard an imitation of something in the real world, a real world process. And a simulacra, simulacra is a representation of something in the real world. And so um, as we interact with these simulacra, that's how we function in kind of a simulated reality. I think if you think about you wake up on Monday, you go to work, you go to a job, you get paid money, but that money you usually receive electronically. So you're not actually receiving cash. That cash is meant to represent value, but it's a fiat currency, so it's not really a representation of gold or anything. It's just kind of this medium of exchange. Mm -hmm. You receive it digitally. You pay most of your bills digitally. And if you're not paying it digitally, you're using some kind of debit card or credit card to pay for your needs and your wants and stuff like that. And then you're working in this job, and you don't really know why, because through all these levels of simulacra and simulate, you're simulating the fight for survival by going to your job and making money, right? Mm -hmm. We're not hunter gatherers anymore mm -hmm. where we'd wake up in the morning and hunt and gather so we can survive. It's I go to a job so that I can survive, but because it's so far divorced from the actual reality of survival, 
we're living in kind of like this simulation of survival. And you go to the grocery store and you buy these groceries and you've got no idea how they are made or grown or harvested or butchered or slaughtered. You don't know where they came from, but you believe that it's food. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and so you, and so you buy the ingredients right on the, on the package, but yeah. you eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we are, and I think that's where a lot of like first world anxiety and depression comes from is that we go through these simulated processes, this process that simulates the reality of survival, but because the actual simulation it's hyper real. Mm-hmm. It's really not connected to the daily fight for survival. And so we get this ex- sense of existential dread and anxiety and purposelessness and meaninglessness, which the media then manipulates us and our emotions into getting us to buy more shit. And that's kind of what Baudrillard saw in this postmodern world. People lose a sense of purpose and identity as we dismantle our overarching narratives and group identities existential dread and anxiety and then we communicate through these simulacra and symbols and signs and the media mass produces all those things and the media tells us what these symbols mean and so we and that makes us buy more shit so that we can feel purposeful so when you see a world that is like overrun with mass consumerism it's a world that has lost its sense of identity and purpose i think and i think that's what bojard would say so we just kind of want to go through in this first episode, give some examples of simulation and simulacra. And then in the next couple episodes, we're going to apply it to Mormonism and then apply it to ex-Mormonism. And I think it'll all, it'll all make sense. Like, I think we can all understand the idea behind, you know, m- money, like the numbers you see in your app. Um, in, in your bank account, that is a representation of some work you've done or some value that you have contributed or extracted. And now you have access to these funds that represent this idea that you can access somebody else's work and value. Um, and I, I think using money is a good example because even, you know, you, you look at barter system and that's like a direct exchange of real goods and then if you move on to gold as or you know um cacao or um silver or other precious things as a means of exchange and then you move on to fiat um or, or like a gold standard kind of currency and then fiat currency right like we're getting further and further removed and that's kind of what we're talking about is this further removal from reality from the food and how it's grown from the processes of how to get our food right we still use these words especially you know hustle culture they'll talk about like you know you have to be a hunter and stuff but it's like they're not hunting anything right uh so it's this the it's this uh successive uh removal from reality that we have that we're kind of building on these precarious imaginations of representations well the question i have too i probably have more questions than comments because i don't feel like it's really interesting going through this i don't know if i'm as comfortable as you guys are with the concepts but like say we talk about food you go to the grocery store there's different i guess types of stores right like Mm -hmm. i have aldi down the street which is a value store then there's whole foods Mm -hmm. and then you go in the packaging and things are organic things aren't organic beef has so many varieties now right Mm -hmm. grass-fed and chicken with eggs and everything 
I don't know if that's part of it or not really, but that would be just the way I, I think they're in the status that comes with, you know, kind of where you do grocery shop and, you know, but the whole, I guess, like health conscious movement, kind of if that becomes a status, like a fiction created in some ways that it's, it's kind of like a culturally based thing, I guess. Like, I don't know how big it is in Canada versus, you know, like Los Angeles in the United States where it's like, you know, it's all about body image and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of the simulacra kind of as well and a simulation of those things being played out, you know, like that we identify in our culture as this has value and this is, you know, a status that comes with this specific thing. It's like we don't do anything that is healthy generally, right? Mm-hmm. And so we simulate health by getting these organic grass-fed whatever that you don't even know if it's actually organic or grass fed and you don't even know what, what is organic versus in, as far as I know, organic is something that's made out of like carbon and hydrogen, right? That's like organic chemistry. Right. And that like, I remember starting chem chem in grade 10 and they're talking about organic chemistry. I'm like, are we learning about like carrots grown without pesticides? Like what the hell is this? And then they're like, no, we're talking about like breaking down fuels and chemical reactions. Like this is how gasoline powers your car. I'm like, what the hell? What the hell does organic even mean? But that organic being a simulacra of God knows what, and okay. and now it's it's this health movement. So instead of actually living healthy lives, we all like, I don't know, drink energy drinks, coffee, all this other shit, drink a bunch of alcohol, sit all day at work, smoke. Oh, but I'm gonna eat some organic grass-fed beef. Right. Instead of just finding a way to live a healthy life. <laughs> right. I'm gonna sit in my car. I'm gonna sit on the bus. I'm gonna do all this shit that's not good for me. But hey, if I can eat organic grass-fed beef, I'm right. gonna simulate health through this simulacra of organic grass-fed beef. Right. Or or here here's a great one um, in, in the example of health is going to the gym, like. Yeah, you go to the gym and <laughs> to simulate you, work you, to simulate work, like to run on a, a <laughs> treadmill. I was I was talking to a, a buddy and telling him, I'm like, oh, well, why don't you cycle to work? And he, he says, well, because, you know, that that's a, longer than driving. Right. It was like mm-hmm. eight, 18 minutes to drive versus 32 minutes to cycle. And I was like, well, you're supposed to get at like at minimum to not die of like being sedentary. You're supposed to get at least 30 minutes of mild exercise every day. So I'm like, if you cycle to work, there's your exercise, right? Like, mm-hmm. but we don't, yeah. we don't do that. Instead, we drive 10 minutes to go to the gym for 30 minutes. Like to pretend to lift hay bales, right? Like right. what are you simulating with bicep curls? I'm pretending to lift hay bales and rocks and shit. <laughs> right, right. Because there is no physical work for me to do. It, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. when you ask that guy, hey, would you mind helping me out? Um, you, in the yard? Like, you're a strong man. Would no. you mind helping me out in the yard? Yeah, I need and help it, moving. No, like, no thanks. No, I, I'm I don't too tired do from going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think it's this this um, the way I understand it. And Bishop has spent hours on the phone, both chastising me and trying to help me understand this concept. <laughs> um, and uh, the way I understand it is is basically like there's like the real thing, and then and then we get further and further removed, right? Like a stairmaster, right? Like yeah, yeah. nobody goes up and down stairs thinking like, yeah, what a what a good workout. But then because we never use stairs, now we're like atrophying these muscles. So we make a machine that simulates the use of stairs. 
<laughs> so that our legs can get a workout, right? Like we're yeah. getting so far removed. My aunt just told me this morning, she was talking um, to my great grandfather, her grandfather. And she, she said, so you never like, you, you guys didn't have like gyms or fitness centers or anything. And he's like, no, we lived on a farm. Like, mm-hmm. like we, we didn't, didn't need that. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just built into your lifestyle. Right. And so, yeah, the, the idea is that as we get further into this future, we get more and more removed from the reality of, but of, even of if, life. Like, like farming itself is a man-made simulation of gathering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So farming itself is a simulation. Yeah. So what we're right. saying is we should all go back to hunter-gatherer society. Well, it's that, <laughs> with these layers of simulation, you enter something that Baudrillard calls hyper-reality, where the mm. manufactured reality is the reality that matters, and the actual reality is no longer relevant to the reality you live in. So hunting and gathering, which is the real kind of activity necessary for our survival, is no longer relevant because we live in this hyper reality of the hyper reality of farming. Like agriculture became the hyper real. And now with grocery stores and like I, my wife's parents who are in their mid sixties, they can remember you could only get certain fruits and vegetables in season at the grocery store. <laughs> I can buy bananas in but fuck nowhere, Canada, any time of the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, uh, so the, the hyper reality of agriculture is also no longer relevant to my day to day hyper reality of consumerism and on demand shopping. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what season there is. It doesn't matter what difficulties farmers go through. Yeah. I can get whatever I want whenever I want. Yeah. And that's the reality that's relevant. So that's, why when they're talking about like uh fertilizer shortages because of the embargoes with russia that's going to impact my ability potentially to buy oranges and bananas in december right yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) right that's that the reality of how it impacts farmers has nothing to do with my day-to-day life but the hyper real of of on-demand shopping is going to be impacted and that's how the the fertilizer lack of fertilizer becomes relevant to us Right, right. It's not really relevant. Like, I'm not the farmer who's going to go bankrupt because I can't have a good harvest. That reality has nothing to do with me. The hyper reality of the grocery store. Yeah, I'm paying inflated costs probably per pound for. Yeah, right. Well, how do you, you know, I'm curious if you guys are talking about this. Do you think there's things, because, okay, we have this concept of simulacra and simulation, but we talk about all these different ways we've evolved from like hunter gatherer to where we're at, you know, today. And I've read things, you know, I'll give you an example. I, I remember reading years ago when I was studying anthropology about this field called evolutionary psychology. I don't know much about it. And there was an article I just had read in a class. And this evolutionary psychologist talked about how we have gone from a very close-knit hunter-gatherer society to now we have all these comforts. But the problem is, is you can easily go to work, spend all day behind a computer, interact with people through email and phone, but never have real human interaction, get in your car deal with rush hours, there's people all around you, but you're still not really having that human touch, then get home. And then the extra layer now is as we're getting these comforts, you can now click a button, open your garage door and pull in and never have to get out of your car and just say hi to your neighbor before you go Mm -hmm. in at night. 
And so really in how it's gotten to a point where people just feel this, you know, real huge lack of personal interaction. But I think it's just, I kind of wonder, like, I guess there maybe are fundamental things as human beings that we all kind of need both emotionally and physically, but then you've got this crazy, I don't know, this simulacra and simulation that just takes place with the world and the culture. And it just sounds like, and I would imagine, I don't know if you would agree, I would think there's probably like a baseline set of things that we need. And then you can kind of watch how we've gotten further and further away from that. And in a way, shot ourselves in the foot probably too, just with maybe feeding ego or other types of, you know, parts that aren't as healthy. And those have kind of gotten exploited more than like their fundamental needs that we really need. Like just, I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I'm just, I I think they're like a baseline, I would think. Right. Yeah. Like as we make our lives more comfortable, we deprive ourselves of purpose. Like if the ultimate purpose in life is to survive, the more comfortable we make ourselves, the more distant we are from the reality of our life, which is survival. Right. And I think that's where like, it becomes an anxiety becomes a first world problem because you're programmed to wake up in the morning and worry about where your next meal is going to come from. And so that kind of level of anxiety is good because it drives you to action. Yeah. But now I don't need to worry about anything, but I'm programmed to worry about something in order to provoke action. But so much of my life is taken care of and is so comfortable that my mind now runs away with worry. And would it be like simulacra to say a big pharma comes along and then makes ads and tells you kind of like can exploit that anxiety with a pill? Yes, 100%. This is your life now. And you go to your doctor and then they'll tell you, hey, we're going to fix everything. And then you see this ad of these people who are just like you, right? And now they're happy and they found bliss. That's one thing that that Baudrillard talks talks about is that we – through mass media, the internet, we're able to produce all these simulacra so fast mm-hmm. that eventually the simulacra doesn't no longer represent something in reality. It just represents other simulacra. And we don't know what our needs or wants are anymore because we're bombarded by all this imagery and messaging and signs and symbols that tells us what we need. Like I was, I was out for a walk with my son and we see it, f one fifty parked in a driveway and and like, uh, same thing with SUVs, like SUVs are the new minivans, right? And the mm-hmm. minivans are the new four-door sedan. Yeah. And I was saying to my son, I'm like, do you think that guy who lives there needs that truck? Or do you think he wants that truck? And I bet if you knocked on his door and said, excuse me, sir, just doing a social experiment. Do you need this truck? He'd probably say, yes, I need that truck. And you say, why do you need that truck? I need it to get to work. Does he really need an <laughs> F-150 to get to work and to do his job? Yeah. Is that necessary to do his job or is it just that he likes to do dump runs on occasion? Yeah. Right. And doesn't want to be inconvenienced by renting a truck to do a dump run. Like once a year, maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you like there's states, you know, in the U.S. where trucks kind of tie into the culture too, right? Like it's yep. what you drive. And so there's probably that layer too. I mean, some of these folks, I think, drive certain cars because it really ties into the, you know, are you like if you work in a certain type of maybe blue collar industry? Yeah, you, you have to wear car hearts and you have to drive a yeah. scooped up truck. It has yeah. to be a lifted truck and it has to be obnoxious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To say that I'm a tradesperson or I work in the oil field. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. But or, that's that's a, like and but on the flip side, like uh, if you're a professional, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you have to wear polished shoes and wool slacks and a and a, and a suit or a blazer. And, yeah. But what does that have to do with being a professional? Right. Yeah. 
but it's this simulacra of being a pro professional. You could right. wear a suit and wool pants and be a tradesperson. Like there's a plumbing company in Calgary that makes like all their plumbers wear white shirts and ties. It's run by a Mormon and he likes the missionary clean cut look yeah. for all his plumbers. And we had one of those plumbers come work at our apartment when we lived in Calgary. And I was like, doesn't this tie like get away when you're working with like uh, augers and stuff? Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's kind of a safety concern, but that's what my <laughs> boss wants us to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's part of that um, uniform, right? Like the whole idea is what it's communicating to, yeah. to people, right? Like we use the way you, we use language, right? Like yeah. a written, written language is a simulation of either the sounds or the meaning of, of what we have in our, in our heads of what we say out loud. And then, you know, what that represents uh, of the, the thoughts that are in our yeah. heads. Right. Like there's this, one of the, companies that I work for, like everybody misunderstands the difference between margin and markup. So they'll ask for a price list with a markup, but what they mean is that they want a certain margin. And I'm not going to bore anybody with the details of the difference between those things, but there are two very, very different things. And you would calculate, if you say I want a 35% markup versus a 35% margin, you're going to get two very different prices. Mm -hmm. But that's that word margin and markup. Those are simulacra that we use. Words are a simulacra. They're yeah. meant to represent something. Yeah. But this particular workplace has confused the meaning of those two words. And no matter how many times you try to correct them, they persistently <laughs> mix those terms up. And so you have to be like, every time you're interacting, you have to clarify, do you mean multiply it by this or multiply it by this? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think what we're saying is everything is meaningless. Uh, there is no purpose in the universe. Uh, nothing, nothing matters. Uh, but if uh, seriously though, if, if you are wondering, you're like, this is an ex Mormon podcast. I've already listened to like 22 minutes of this thing where like, what are you, what are you on about? Don't worry. This will all tie into Mormonism. So beautifully you're going to poop your pants. Yeah. Which itself right. is an expression I use to mean that you'll have an extreme <laughs> emotional reaction. Uh, right. Not that you will literally poop your pants. Yeah. Like I think I think the thing that makes simulacra and simulation the hardest to understand was is written by a French guy and he uses too many words. Because I yeah. think the French notoriously use too many words to say like anything, right? Yeah. I would yeah. disagree so, with that. I agree hundred percent. Les Miserables, the longest book yeah. ever written. Okay, okay, okay. Too many words, not enough variety in the words. That's what I would say. Yeah. But I, okay, so I think I've got one real world example that might roll into another one. Um, but I guess with these simulacra being a representation, like just as a fundamental concept, uh, Baudrillard talks about four levels of it. So the first stage of simulacra, he says, is a faithful image or copy. Um, it's a reflection of a profound reality. It's a good appearance. He calls it the sacramental order. This would be like a picture you take of yourself, hmm. right? That's a faithful copy. You haven't done anything to it. This is as good a representation I can get of myself, right? The second stage he calls a perversion of reality. Um, he calls it an evil appearance. So that would be like Photoshopping your picture or taking a picture at a flattering angle intentionally, you know. Right. Like the uh, yeah. like the, the picture of Moraine Lake right behind you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
a, a little yeah. bit photoshopped, the perfect angle, you know, yeah. nice enough to hang on your wall. You may never look at the lake and see that image, right? Yeah. yeah. Because of the way that photo was taken. Yeah. Um, and then he says the third stage masks the absence of a profound reality. So it's like it pretends to be a faithful copy. He calls this the order of sorcery. What I call this is it's like you Photoshop yourself next to the president or something like that. And, and, and deep fakes would be another one, right? Where it looks real, but we know it's not real. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth stage he calls pure simulacrum where this simulacrum or representation has no reality to, it has no relationship to reality at all. Like if I Photoshop myself standing next to Barack Obama, I'm a real person. Barack Obama is a real person. What's fake there is us shaking hands, right? Right. Yeah. So pure simulacrum would be like a meme, you know, like that meme of Obama, like awarding himself. Right. Yeah. And it gets copied and copied and it's nothing that's ever real, but then it starts to become this real representation to us Mm -hmm. of like self-congratulatory, uh, self-congratulatory acts. Right. Um, but, but Obama never awarded himself with anything and there were never two Obamas, but (laughs) we interact with that to the point where it becomes real. I even know, like I've talked to people and they're telling me about memes and they're talking about memes the way I used to talk about editorials in high school. Mm. Like they are communicating opinions and strong opinions about, about politics or, or economics or whatever, but they're interacting through this meme that really has nothing to do with what they're actually talking about. Yeah. It's not subject. Right. It's like, it's like a shorthand. It has replaced the reality of whatever it's representing. Mm -hmm. And now it's just meme culture. Right. What's like, like the politics, you know, here in the U S is talking about Obama. So I wonder like, you know, think about political ads. I don't know if that would fall under kind of that same umbrella where you've got, you know, you know, you're, you're seeing the politician running for office but the ad is probably pretty disingenuous and you can Mm -hmm. see kind of like the BS of it all. And then I think of like some of these real extreme groups that go out there in the United States, like, you know, the real far right or far left, the Trump supporters of like, you know, versus, and it's just kind of the whole like January 6th, they got all these hearings going on. There's so much information out there about what's going on right now with those hearings. And it's like, you can pick any lane you want and have complete validation with information, you know, but, but it seems like that. I just, I was thinking just, you know, talking about Obama, political campaign ads really came to mind as like a, yeah. an example, maybe if that's right. Well, no, uh, that's exact. I think what you're seeing in the U S ex- more particular than any other country is that the political parties now exist in two different realities, two different hyper realities that they've created through their own simulacrum. Yeah. And that's why they can't talk to each other is that even the meanings of words are different. Like yeah. they're, they're both speaking English, but they're not, like I, I talked about this in a way earlier episode. I watched a YouTube video where they talk about liberals and conservatives both care about justice. It's just justice means something different. Right. Yeah. So yeah. for well, conservatives, justice to a conservative is I work hard, I get rewarded. You yeah. work less, you get rewarded less. And then to a liberal, and I, you know I'm speaking in broad terms here, but to a liberal, justice is everybody is valuable, so everybody gets something 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and, and so it's at kind of, I don't know, equity of outcome or whatever versus the conservative equity of opportunity or kind of some buzzwords that I've heard. So they're talking about justice and they're both kind of right, but mm-hmm. they exist so deeply in their own reality of what justice is that they can't listen to the other party talk and work through an issue. Right. Or here's a, yeah. here, here, here's one from a, a recent episode that, that we did. That's not out as of this recording, uh, decolonizing, right? Like we had that whole conversation about decolonization and how, you know, um, certain groups of people might hear that or hear like defund the police and be like, what you want to like eliminate all police or you, you want me to like move back to Scotland. Right. It's like, but it's, it's this misunderstanding because we have completely different versions of what we mean by these words. And we use these buzzwords to quickly get across a point, but then somebody just hears the buzzword and makes assumptions about what that what that means buzzword means yeah and then they run with that yeah and then and then it becomes create, its own thing and it becomes a hyper real yeah and well you know i think you know it's, i was just kidding I, like whatever conservatives say about liberals they 100 percent believe that to be the truth about liberals whether or not it is and, and vice versa whatever liberals yeah. say about conservatives in their hyper reality that is what conservatives are and yeah they're not gonna, more, yeah, they're not going to listen to anything. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just saying, what's fascinating to me, too, as you talk about this, in the United States, you know, our laws, the civil laws, like, you know, tort, you hurt someone, right? You get harmed, you go to court, you sue them, you, you know, recover for your damages. The standard is usually always a reasonable person, right? Like, what would a reasonable person do in same or similar circumstances or a reasonable company? And you think about all this diversity we're talking about just with people and how words have just, I mean, multiple meanings now. And it's crazy. You think about this legal system we have in the States is based on everyone sitting in a room and deciding collectively, even though they have completely different lives and what a reasonable person is. And it's like, man, mm-hmm. I don't know how you really even define that anymore. Yeah. How do you come to terms with, because I mean, people are just so divided now and you're justified because the information you need to justify your positions out there if you want to find it, no matter yeah. what it is, well, even if this- you're fringe and outlier, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same as when whenever somebody says common sense, I kind of cringe a little bit whenever somebody somebody says, "Oh, nobody has common sense anymore." What happened to common sense? It's like, well, there is there is common sense. It's just a different common sense than <laughs> what what you're used to, than what you you think, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, because things change, the meaning of things change the importance of different things change, people's values change. And that's an ongoing process, right? Like I know someday some young kid is going to, you know, call me some, some word I don't understand that basically means I'm old and unwilling to change, right? <laughs> like, and as much as I hope I don't get there, I feel like that's uh, a bit of an inevitability because I like what I like. I'm used to what I'm used yeah. to, right? Yeah. I saw a TikTok on that actually about how um, like political political views tend to shift more progressive over time, mm-hmm. but our ability to change our opinions kind of stops or decreases, right? Our our ability to change opinions and learn uh, it just kind of stops over time. So that's why old people become conservative. Mm. They may have been like they may have been like communists. 50 years ago 
but eventually their interest in learning and keeping up with the new progressive issues, it just kind of stops. They're like, look, I'm just trying to pay my mortgage right. and spend time with my grandkids. I don't really care about like getting in the pride parade or whatever anymore. Like yeah, I'm over that. And so all of a sudden they're conservative, but it's not necessarily that they're conservative. It's just that everything else has drifted more progressive over time and they just stop caring. And yeah. so they just be, yeah, become old and stuck in their ways. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Um, but I do, and I, I do think it's important to mention as well, like these words conservative, conservative and liberal are such useless terms, especially like, well, there's Especially, simulacrum in the hyper hyper reality of, of contemporary politics. Well, and like, and we're we're English speakers doing an English speaking podcast, and when I think conservative, I'm usually thinking like Canadian conservative, which is very 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 different than an American conservative, right? Um, and liberal means different things if you've got a capital L liberal or a lowercase yeah. liberal, right? Yeah. Like, or if you're in Australia versus the UK, right? So I think it also, because English is so widespread, I think we kind of get this um, thing where we're speaking different dialects, but we don't realize it because it's the same words and maybe even mm -hmm. the same accent. Yeah. So I get like, well, it's generally speaking, as you get like conservative is status quo, mm -hmm. liberal is yeah. progressive change, right? That, so can we define it that way? Now for the, for the purposes of this podcast, <laughs> okay, that's that's how we're defining. <laughs> okay, we will tie all of this that back to Mormonism Bishop. eventually. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I just say like I'm a very status quo guy just by nature. Mm -hmm. With like everything in my life, I'm not a big fan of change, so I've just come to terms to accept my conservatism in that regard. So you know, what? I just don't like change. I want everybody to be happy, but I just don't like change. It makes me uncomfortable. So you want I, everyone I, to be happy your way, spoken like a true bishop. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that dude was inspired. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay. So uh, okay. So one example of this simulation in simulacra, if you guys have seen the Big Short, that is, it shows like how in a very short period of time, Wall Street created a simulation of value through these financial instruments, which were a simulacra. And you can see how they progressed over maybe 50 years from being a faithful representation to something that just represented itself. So the first thing they talk about in the big short was the mortgage backed security, mm -hmm. which if you're a bank, a bank doesn't want to carry the risk of a mortgage. So they get all these mortgages together. Most of them are good mortgages, AAA rated, high credit rating, you know, some of them are a little weaker, but they have a higher interest rate, so a higher return. But if you get thousands and thousands of mortgages together, the risk kind of gets spread around. So the risk of default goes down, even though you've got some riskier mortgages in there. And the bank doesn't want to carry around mortgages, so it packages it together and sells it as a bond or as a security to somebody else. So the investors are now carrying the risk of the mortgage the bank isn't anymore. Hmm. But the mortgage-backed security was a faithful representation. It was a first-order simulacra because all that the mortgage bond represented was the mortgages in the bond. So the value as an investor that you got was clearly related and represented by the value of the mortgages in the fund, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then the banks run out of mortgages and, and borrowers. There are no more houses to sell. Everybody who can buy a house has bought a house. 
So what do we do? So somebody else would take like junk mortgages and junk bonds and he'd package it together with the same idea of if I take enough risky loans, I've spread out the risk. And so I can sell this thing and it's just as good as a mortgage backed security. So second level simulacra now with these CDOs, collateralized debt obligations. It's kind of like a mortgage backed security. It's just as safe as a mortgage backed security but it's not a mortgage-backed security. At least that's what they're telling people, mm-hmm. right? And then they make um, <laughs> then they make CDO squared, where you have a collateralized debt obligation made up of other collateralized debt obligations, which in and of themselves may be made up of other collateralized debt obligations, which are made up of loans. <laughs> credit card like credit card receivables airplane leases auto loans and some junk mortgages Mm -hmm. so you've got this layer of investments that are based on other investments that are based on other investments but somewhere down there there is a real asset that has some kind of value (laughs) yeah right and then the other side of that is is because they're running out of wall street's running out of borrowers they start issuing these subprime loans and they're paying fat Uh, bonuses to guys to issue these subprime loans, right? There's like in the big short, they talk about selling them to immigrants and strippers, right? And, and uh, Michael Scott, uh, (laughs) Steve Carell goes and meets with a stripper and finds out she has five homes and she doesn't realize that there are these adjustable rate mortgages where you get like a teaser rate at 2%. But after like a year or two, the interest rate goes up three times, right? And he's telling her like, your payments are going to triple. And she's like, are you effing kidding me? I own five houses, right? And so they're the Wall Street, because they want to lend money, they create this simulation of a housing market where there should have been no market made. There was nobody who was credit worthy to take on a mortgage, but they make these shitty loans and simulate this housing market, which creates the housing bubble. Which at this point, if you're sitting here like me and saying, Bishop, I'm totally lost. I'm so confused. I don't understand any of this. That's exactly the point, I think. I think, yes, because we're, we're not even in the most complex financial instrument right now that was created. And, and the hours and hours of YouTube videos, like I earned a small MBA in corporate finance <laughs> just to try and understand. But I think the movie purposefully doesn't, really, really clarify the intricacies of some of these instruments so that you feel as confused is what everybody should feel by this. Yeah. Like these layers of simulacra, this, this simulation that wall street created. Yeah. They created a housing market where people shouldn't have been able to borrow money. Right. Yeah. But they let people borrow money and then they'd package it in these collateralized debt obligations and say that it was diversified enough that the risk was low enough that it was just as good as a mortgage-backed security. Right. Yeah. And then people start catching on to it and seeing that the under there is no reality here. There is no underlying value. This is not worth the same as a mortgage-backed security. And so they end up, it's, it's a concept called short selling, but they go short on it, which means you make money if the thing goes belly up. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what, you know, like uh, uh, Christian Bale, and Michael Scott and these other guys and Brad Pitt, that's what they start seeing. 
Right. Right. Is that there is no reality. Right. It's all meaningless. It's all, you know, everything's tacked onto everything else in the most They're, precarious ways. And, and so then uh, they get barely oh, holding together. So then they create what they call a synthetic CDO, which you have something in, in the, these financial instruments that are called swaps or um, forward contracts or stock options. Those kinds of things are a derivative. So they have no value in and of themselves. They derive their value from the performance of something else. So they create these synthetic CDOs, which are basically the insurance premiums people are paying on the shorts for everything else. So now there is a bigger market wow. of, of fire insurance that needs to be paid out on, on the housing market going belly up. And that's what turned it into a global economic crisis instead of just a housing bubble was they created these synthetic CDOs, which are now no longer based on the value of a loan. They're actually based on the insurance premiums of loans defaulting, but they're selling it like it's a mortgage-backed security. And now you have more insurance on homes than what there are homeowners, essentially. <laughs> so now if one house catches fire and i'm saying this metaphorically like if a house catches on fire the insurance company quote unquote the metaphorical insurance company doesn't need to pay out the homeowner needs to pay out the homeowner and the neighborhood and so when all these mortgages went belly up that's why the banks were going bankrupt was that there were all these um <laughs> credit default swaps that they had to pay out but they like and I'm, I'm talking about this thing and every, I know you guys are looking at me like I've got two heads and I know all our listeners are probably looking at me like I got three heads. Cause it's like, I can, I can barely wrap my head around it and I had to draw a picture of it just to wrap my head around it. So ultimately I guess what we're saying is crypto is a scam. Um, <laughs> that is a fourth order simulacra. It is what's the underlying value of a cryptocurrency. Like the underlying value of the U S currency, it's not the gold standard anymore, but the underlying value is the American economy. Right. right. And the Canadian currency, the underlying value is the Canadian economy. So you can say, okay, it's a pretty robust economy. I can trust that currency reasonably. I will, you know, transact in this currency. But crypto, what's the underlying value? <laughs> Some yeah. someday it'll be worth something. It's the same thing with Tesla. But it's it's uh, worth right? something like, because we say it's worth something. Right. Exactly. Like why is Tesla the most highly valued car company? It's not because they build good cars. It's not because they build a lot of cars. It's it's literally just people who are like, yeah, I think I like the idea of this maybe going somewhere someday. It's the simulacrum of yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Like he has become an idol and a god. And in yeah. Elon we trust. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, but there there is no value in Tesla. No. But it's valuable because we say it's valuable. And I think that is really what a fourth order simulacra is, is it is because we say it is. Yeah. And so I don't like coming from a background in accounting. Accounting is because we say it is. Yeah. And and I be, I experience existential dread in my job sometimes <laughs> if I get too far into the accounting because I'm like, this has nothing to do with the actual work that's going on here. Yeah. This is a simulation of financial results. Right. And And the financial statement itself is a simulacra. Yeah. And I don't, this isn't the boots on the ground 
shipping orders out, actually selling stuff. And I wonder if you experience the same thing in law because law only exists because we say it exists. No, absolutely. And sometimes you're you're going through these torts and case law and all this shit, and it's just like none of this is real. <laughs> well, I think that's interesting, right? Because people look at the law. I think a lot of times is just is just way to have fairness and justice. And I remember a law professor when I, my first I think week in law school, he came in. He's like, I don't want anyone to ever say the f word in my class, and everyone kind of starts laughing, right? And he writes up there f a i r. He's like, the law is not fair. And so I think that's what kind of adds a layer of confusion sometimes with like, what are we doing? Because it's not always to get the most just result because it can't promise to be fair. And so if someone misses a deadline unintentionally, but it happens or something just, there's just ways that the law can't remedy all that either. And But, you know, people I think look to it as this notion of fairness and then maybe it's another way that they just kind of mischaracterize what it is with definitions and things. But, but yeah, it's just fascinating because I do a lot. There's a lot of things I do, you know, and, and, and during the office, you know, the office during the week, you're like, this is stupid. You know, like there's really no practical point to this. This is just part of the process. You know, and you're like, what is uh-huh. this process? Just one big machine that just keeps moving forward with, I mean, I don't know. I'm probably getting off topic, but yeah, it's just, I always thought it's interesting how people just think it's supposed to be this way of establishing fairness and it's not. I mean, it just is kind of like you said in accounting, there's things you do that like for me, I have things I do that are very counterintuitive at times. I'm like, okay, yeah. but that's, Part of the process, you know, part of the machine. Well, we that's build. how we do this, you know, that's how it's done. Yeah, we, we build on things on things, right? Like, um, why why don't you cross the solid yellow line? Well, because we decided, some, or not we, somebody, somebody a long time ago who's dead now decided, oh, well, how do we tell drivers not to cross this this space? Oh, well, we'll put a solid yellow line there. That Like, that'll <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> Uh, like I think about that every time I'm at a red light is yeah. why does this thing why is this have stopping power me? over any of us? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I think, you know, the law kind of evolves in some sense, right? Because we can go and say, all right, this law is stupid. You know, like, why do we do this? And then you can maybe go take it up with the Court of Appeals and ask higher courts to kind of take a second look at it and go, yeah. you know, this is a little outdated. Maybe we need to expand this or change it. But it moves at such a snail's pace. By the time it gets there, it's usually still... Not well, kind of, and you know. especially in the U.S. being a republic, right? Like the United yeah. States is designed to move slowly. Like people ask, they're they're like, "Why is the U.S. so behind on like gay marriage and on gun laws yeah. and this and this and this?" It's like it was designed that way. Like that, <laughs> like in the U.S. system, that is a feature, not a bug. Like that, it yeah. moves so slowly. Even though, like but- now, the way things are moving, like it just gets so far removed and so yeah. so bloated. Right. But the court, like the courts, the appeal process, judges, all those things only exist because we say they exist. Exactly. Yeah. They're not real things. None of those things yeah. are. And I think that's what dictators exploit. Yeah. Is that they see the reality that this whole system is made up. Yeah. And none of it matters. Yeah. And because none of it matters and none of it's real, I can do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Um, as, as we wrap up here, I mean, people have been listening for 47 minutes and are probably like, how, like, how does this tie into Mormonism? You know? Um, and we're going to get into that that in the next three minutes in in the next episode. No, I think, I think real quick, uh, today is pioneer day. And I just thought I'd mention this pioneer day is like a simulation, like Trek. Trek is a simulation of something real people did once. Um, and it's a total simulation because you go on trek with a nurse, uh, whereas people like died on their way 
uh, to to Utah. So happy Pioneer Day, everybody. But it's not even everybody. a faithful representation. Like it becomes um, a fourth order simulacra because it's right. like nothing about this. It's not the real, real thing. You're also not it, going anywhere. Like you're it's not, not even a, It's not even a faithful representation. No. Like you're you doing this because your parents made you. Coming and taking all your food and making you kill the fat calf <laughs> for them to eat and then leaving. And then Brigham Young getting pissed and sending out rescue. Like yeah. <laughs> none of it reflects the real stories of the pioneers yeah but anyway i think we'll yeah we'll get into that more ha- happy episode. pioneer day we're gonna we're we'll see you in the uh next episode um and with with that i'll just say uh in the name of lego joseph smith amen 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 <laughs> see you